MailChimp presents. Have you ever heard of the dreaded customer? You know, it's when marketers throw their customers into one big messy group, failing to define them by their different needs or habits. It can show up when coupon codes meant for new customers are sent out to everyone, even return customers who can't use the discount. Basically, it's a mess. If you're a marketer, Intuit MailChimp can help you personalize your marketing campaigns so that you meet customers' individual needs instead of missing them. Turn customers into customers by personalizing emails and SMS based on real-time behavior data. Intuit MailChimp, the number one email marketing and automations brand. Based on competitor brands' publicly available data on worldwide numbers of customers in 2021 and 2022. SMS is available as an add-on to U.S. paid plans only. Visit MailChimp.com for details. Oh, hi. You're listening to Call Paul, and I'm Paul Jarvis, your host. As I'm sure you've heard me say, I've run small companies for more than 20 years, and I'm currently the co-founder of Fathom Analytics. Hey, Paul. Sorry to interrupt. Um, You've been mentioning Fathom all season. Don't you think it's time we actually talk about what it is? Oh, hey, Ruth. Um, yeah, I guess. Let's do it. Great. I'm Ruth Eddy, a producer for Call Paul. I remember when I first met Paul, he was writing a weekly newsletter called Sunday Dispatches and loved talking about rats. A lot has changed since then. The weekly newsletter is no longer, and as Paul's personal brand on the internet has faded, so has his iconic pink rat logo. Instead, over the last couple years, Fathom has become more and more of Paul's everyday work, and it only seems right that I turn the tables on him, asking the questions about how he runs his own company, along with his co-founder, Jack Ellis. Paul Paul cares about people. Paul cares about animals. Uh, Paul is a very outwardly caring person, um, highly empathetic, and really those personal traits they do well in business when you can be empathetic. As Paul's business partner, Jack is the perfect person to help us take a peek behind the curtain to find out more about Fathom, their privacy-first website analytics company, as well as more about Paul and how they work so well together. Fathom is 100% remote. Most of our conversations happen on Signal, which is a secure messaging platform. The atmosphere of my office is quiet and peaceful. I live in the woods on an island and it's just quiet unless there are chainsaws, which I don't think my neighbors are using today. Um, Yeah, Jack, (laughs) yours is slightly different. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, mine varies. I mean, I have noise cancelling headphones, so I I can definitely zone out. But um, I have a young young daughter who's always running around, but that's why noise cancelling headphones were created, right? And a dog. And a dog. That's how we that's how we work, fully remote. And then we've met up in you know, we've met up in the past, prior to Fathom actually, but Paul lives on the the other end of Canada to me. Does it feel like Fathom has its own I feel like you you 
use the word vibe but like does it is it does it feel like it's this like own place on the internet we communicate a lot but i think a lot of it it just translates the personality that jack and i have where we take our work really seriously and we don't take ourselves seriously in any way whatsoever so like there's a lot of joking there's a lot of trolling each other and i mean that even comes across on the copy on fathom like we have silly cats and we always have and it's just like a silly thing but when you get into like the weeds of privacy laws in europe or something like we can talk about those very well and we take our work super seriously but yeah we we joke around all the time there's no egos going around you know it's very calm everyone's opinion matters i mean even people we work with it's not just oh jack says this or paul says this everyone has has a right to voice their opinion and we discuss it and that's been beneficial because paul will come up with things that that will change the way the technical things work even though the technical side is technically mine there's still input that will come in that will completely change things and improve it my ignorance is a benefit. <laughs> What's the story of the name? The very initial Fathom started when I was sick of using Google Analytics and I just went into Photoshop and I mocked up what I thought analytics could look like, which is funny because now it looks totally different, but it kind of doesn't. Like it still has very simple one dashboard and i just i've always liked nautical things um a lot of my tattoos are nautical like i'm not a sailor or anything i just i just am drawn to that vibe and fathom just sounded like a cool and powerful-ish kind of sounding word and it's easy to say i mean i guess i thought it was easy to say and remember but now if we look at like our search queries people look for phantom analytics a lot and people look for phantom which i don't know if that's even a word f-a-n-t-o-m so it isn't as easy as i thought it was but it it just it stuck jack what was like your interest or what what was it about fathom that was calling you me and paul had worked on some some sort of crypto thing I think we originally worked on in the early, early days. Yeah, we, we did a Bitcoin kind of, thing. Yeah, so we, we'd sort of done a test project of working together and I knew that like, Paul's a great designer, a great marketer. He doesn't call himself a marketer, but he's great at marketing, great at writing. I, I knew that there'd be a good combination where we could build an incredible product um, in this space. And then we really just, from there we went and slowly but surely we added things to the product we listened to customers and we just kept on i suppose compounding with fathom and then it's grown into what it is today i will say too that when jack came on board i think we tripled our mrr in the first year it's a good fusion yeah can you describe what the other person does in the company jack is the chief hype officer <laughs> i knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> It's my favorite term. He's he's good at building buzz. Like he does a lot of the Twitter stuff and he's good at generating excitement for the product that, that we work on. He's also obviously a developer and he's also the best communicator um, as far as co-founders go that I've ever worked with. Um, and he does writing too. Like it's funny, his writing does far better than mine on the Fathom blog because he takes a very technical thing and turns it into... A story with drama and and like arcs and stuff like and it's really good and like i'm not even i'm not even mad that his articles do better because i think that i think they're great 
So Paul is one of the best designers in the world. I've worked with so many designers. He's top tier, top 1%, probably top 0.5%. But in addition to the design skill he brings, there's also this ability to write, um, the ability to market features in a way that people understand them. So that, you know, I can build something and work with Paul to build it on a technical level, but it's no it's no good if people don't understand what this this tool actually does. So he's kind of like whole process. I don't he just kind of does everything. Paul got me into writing. I definitely didn't have the confidence to publish any writing. And I'd, I'd write it and I'd think it had to be this perfect thing. And I sort of, you'd come and edit it, Paul, and it would just be like, oh, cool. Like, you're like, there, that looks great. And that's when it, I started to think, oh, okay, so I can write. And so I actually wouldn't be publishing content if it wasn't for you. Like, that's quite nuts to think about, but that is the <laughs> case. So Paul is also, uh, I suppose... I don't. I suppose I could call you a mentor because you're older than me. You've got more experience than me in various areas, and now I think I can bring more to the table because of learning from Paul, which has been which has been really great. So yeah, thanks, Paul. I don't know if I've ever talked said yeah. this before, but thanks, thank you dude. for everything you've done. I do yeah. appreciate all, it. all the feels, <laughs> and I guess we both we both take on support. <laughs> yes, as well. we do. It's fun to talk to customers, even though you should be doing other things. Arguably. It's so important to keep your kind of fingers on the pulse of your customers and they love it. It's like, oh, a co-founder is replying to us. That's not normal. But it's, it's also a superpower for us because someone in support can say something and then me and Paul were discussing this as a potential thing. Or somebody tweets at us with a feature and then like three <laughs> hours later it's live on the site and their mind is just like completely blown. Our culture is about making our customers happy trying to be agile and get things done fast. We don't have investors, so we consider our customers as our investors. We don't answer to a board. We don't answer to a VC. We just, yeah, answer to the people who give us money every month to use our software. Like we always want to be the fastest and the best and the most reliable. So we spend more than other people in our industry, but we don't, we can't spend that until we have like literally ha- made that from our customers. So it has to keep like ramping up gradually. This is novel in tech. It's probably not novel in a lot of other businesses, but in tech, it's usually we go out, find a bunch of money, we spend a bunch of money, and then we hope that revenue hits where we think it'll hit. How do you find a work-life balance when you're both working remotely from home? There's a balance between like the lives that we both have um, and the, the work that we need to do. And we always try to find, like, I think it's hard to balance it completely at all times. Our families are as important to us as like sitting down every day and like writing code or, or, or writing words kind of thing. And so like they come first, sometimes they work, sometimes if there's a big thing, then that's the thing that we just need to like sit down and work on. But it's not like we're not sleeping on our couch in, in our offices like like Elon Musk. I mean, we both have couches in our offices, <laughs> but that's for relaxing. Well, I mean, in your case, it's for your dog. Yes, that's just right. <laughs> uh, so. I actually think I almost view venture capital, these hundreds of millions of dollars, as synonymous with divorce. Um, so obviously, like I care about Fathom a lot as it is. But I have I have balance, you know, with my wife and my daughter. Um, if I was chasing this huge, huge financial goal, we've we joked about this, you'd be sending investor updates every month and we'd be have that accountability. I don't want to be accountable to anyone. I think there's something to be said too about you. you do have to some degree the ability to choose the type of people you work with. Mm-hmm. Like we have actively chosen to work with mostly small businesses. We don't exclude yes. or write off big businesses, but we're a small business. We know small businesses like this is what we've done for a long time. And like we really enjoy the customers that we have that 
are kind of in the same position as us. We run our business and it does suit our lifestyles. And it doesn't mean that you can't make profit and you can't do well. It means that you optimize for how you want to live your life. I think it's super interesting, yeah, building this sort of business that you actually want to work for. I guess, Jack, I just want to know, like, what what else can you tell me about Paul? Just like, what was, who is Paul for real? <laughs> Paul, Paul cares about people. Paul cares about animals. Uh, Paul is a very outwardly caring person, um, highly empathetic, and really those personal traits they do well in business when you can be empathetic you can't be a good designer without being empathetic paul's worked for some ridiculous companies like mercedes-benz some, some silly companies everyone's heard of and you don't get to design at that level without having deep levels of empathy as, as for why he's been a success if he says he's going to do something he'll do it and i think you can kind of boil everything down to that if you think about it. And so if you can have this level of integrity to yourself and to the world, you're going to succeed in life. And so I do I do think Paul's got some remarkable processes that enable him to succeed. And I think that's probably Paul's secret to his success is his, um, his systems. I truly believe that. Execution's everything. You can execute a hundred times and fail, right? No one's going to succeed every time, but you have to be able to execute in the first place to even have a chance to succeed. Paul is the epitome of execution. So you're saying I should be called the executioner? (laughs) (laughs) That's my line. And that's no nonsense. That is, you execute. And I do appreciate that about you because you always get stuff done when you say you're going to do it. Paul, where do you like, where do you think that comes from? I think it's just my pragmatic nature. I think that I've always been involved in a creative field, whether it was like being a touring musician, a designer, an author, but I've never approached it with any kind of preciousness. I've always just been like, this is the thing I do. I sit down and do it and I get it done. So then for you to then proceed with something despite not feeling like doing it, what leads up to you doing that? Are you having a conversation with yourself, deciding you want to do this, then I'm going to do this. doesn't matter how I feel. I've already decided this. Because how do you then prevent things like burnout where you're working on something, don't feel like like doing it or motivated and it burns you out? Like, What do you do to get to the point where you know that it's going to be okay that you're you're doing what you're doing. I think I'm just wired in a way where it's like, if left to my own devices, I'm just going to do stuff like all day. I'm just going to keep doing stuff. But then that that's not healthy. And for me now, it's like, okay, well, if I get like four hours of work a day, six hours, some days, it's like, that should be like, I look at the time. It's like I started work at six. It's now this time. Can't do math. (laughs) Noon, I guess. Then it's like, okay, well, that's the time to like cut things off. Uh, whereas if I was just left to my own devices, I would just keep going and then I would burn out and then it wouldn't be any good to anybody. I've tried to get this from you before. It's just, you're just like, oh, I just do it. it it's yeah. so hard to get into that place. It really is. And, and maybe that's a lesson. Just do it. Hey, I wanted to pause for a quick break. If you're enjoying this season of Call Paul, You'll love a small business story from our friends at Courier, a magazine about working better and living smarter. For a brand that's just turned three years old, Pangaea has been making a lot of noise. Launched in late 2018, its ethos might not seem unusual for a contemporary fashion brand to create and sell clothing made through earth-friendly practices. 
But Pangaea looks to do this by replacing traditional materials with bio-based, animal-friendly alternatives, developed by its own team of biologists, fiber scientists, and engineers. It all goes back to Future Tech Lab, an incubator specializing in responsible technological innovations. While collaborating on next-generation sustainable materials, a team of seven employees began to realize how stagnant the fashion industry was, and thought it was strange that while tech giants like Google and Apple developed their own software through internal research, hardly any fashion labels were developing their own materials. So, what happened next? For the full story, head to couriermedia.com. And if you want more stories like this, you can sign up for their weekly newsletter at couriermedia.com slash email. You talked about Fathom being privacy focused, and it seems like there's a lot of morals and ethics just around data privacy and privacy on the internet in general. Has that like moral code come from working on this business or was that at the beginning or how has it sort of changed as you've gotten into it so as part of working in this on this business and in this business you do become more aware of what's going on as you become more aware of this you really realize how big of a concern it is i used to be a i used to work at a web development agency i throw google analytics on a website i wouldn't even think twice it's just it's just what you do and then I'm now I'm in the lens of well hold on a minute this is an, this is an advertising company we're putting a pixel on every single site on the internet where you're effectively helping an advertising company profile people on your website it's just if you told me that before I started fathom I would be shocked it's funny cuz like in this season of the show call Paul to get a bit meta like we've talked to a lot of business owners who are kind of building They're using their business to build a world that they wish existed. And I feel like Fathom does that too. We're okay to let our values um, lead the direction that we go or like the stances that we take in business because honestly, that's like, I don't know why a business wouldn't do that. Like it, it bugs us to no end that there are businesses who just think about like, their shareholders and like extractive capitalism and all of that. And it doesn't like, it doesn't seem like, yeah, it's altruistic to do things the way that we do things. But I also think it's more sustainable. Like even if you're just a pragmatic capitalist, it does seem like it's more sustainable to take into consideration your customers or society in general when you're doing business. I'm curious, what are you hearing from your customers that make you that I guess reinforce that you are doing something um, yeah. bigger. It, it's a good feeling to have, but it's also a huge marketing lesson. Like our customers feel so good that they use our software that they tell other people. And it becomes like a badge of honor to them saying like, hey, I, if you come to my website, I am not going to be profiling you and selling that data to data brokers. You. Yeah, we're not going to spy. Like our website, because we use Fathom, isn't spying on you. And that becomes like, it's, it feels good for Jack and I to hear this from our customers, because obviously it feels good if people like you, but like, it is also like, it's become, it's become probably our best marketing is customers telling other people that they use our software. People are spending their money with their values more nowadays. I don't know if it's a generation thing. Maybe it's a generation thing. It's becoming more common. People want to see companies that aren't, that aren't bad, that aren't, 
people called it extractive capitalism like they really want that and we definitely do that and on the other hand we've we've had times where we've had emails from very very high profile people very high profile that we're not going to work with because no way and we can just click mark a spam and we can do that happily and again that comes down to our values and we we don't have um exact exactly the same values but we have enough shared values and and that's really what matters i'm just curious from your point of view did it feel like in the beginning like you were crashing through some gate um or trying to yeah, I guess a, a little bit because it's like, it, like and we're talking about logic here. It's not that logical to take on one of the biggest companies in the world. <laughs> but on the other side of it, we aren't trying to be the next Google. So like the bar is so much lower for us because mm-hmm. we're a tiny business. Like if we had 1% of the market share that Google Analytics does, that would be amazing. Like that, honestly, that would just be like... Can you imagine? fantastic so like we don't need to disrupt the market i understand and i think that monopolies are 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 bad for a a quote-unquote free market but i also don't think that you need to come into it if you're a new business owner as like well what is it going to take to dominate the market because you don't have like you don't have to you can make a fantastic living and build a great company and have such a fraction of the market share that it like it wouldn't show up on a pie chart. <laughs> but, but you still like can easily support yourself and your family, support the people that work for you, run a company that's fun. And so that part, I guess it, it does feel like gate crashing, but it also feels like if we don't ever see the gate, I don't care either. <laughs> I don't know if gate crashing is even the right word, but you're definitely doing things um in a different way and i guess like it seems like that was pretty intentional not taking investors money or like all these other things like is that growing in the tech world like realizing Mm -hmm. that there are different routes there's such a space of camaraderie in the indie self-funded space that's amazing like jack and i talk to co-founders of other companies we're all up against companies who have way more money than we do because they've taken investment have way more of the market share than we do i feel like collectively we approach it as like well this is a pro like this is a solvable problem and like this is a problem that if one of us succeeds then the other ones can learn from that or if one succeeds in one way then the others can learn from that and it can kind of rise if we if we use another nautical thing a rising tide can raise all ships <laughs> kind of thing a question we ask a lot is like, how how do you trust yourself? Part of it is that if Jack feels the same way I do, then that's a bit more confidence to like, okay, this is the right decision. Or I think for a lot of decisions, we're really slow to make a decision and then move really fast to execute. Like we will spend so much time debating a, a feature in our software for is this as simple as it can possibly be. Does this protect privacy as much as it possibly can? Is this the right thing for the business? Like we spend so much time that when we get to the other side of that, I think we have the confidence of like, okay, we put this thing through its paces. 
like we have, we probably talked to customers about this thing. A lot of features we've launched, we've like emailed screenshots to customers who've asked for it and been like, is this what you mean? Like you said you wanted this. This is what it would look like. Is that the thing you want? And they're like, yes, this, that's, that's the thing I want. Or no, this isn't, it should be this. And so I think a lot of it isn't necessarily just having confidence and running headstrong into whatever. I think it's the discussion and the debate and the dissection and that like, testing it in smaller stakes at first like we go through so many little steps for everything that we do that the stakes are always small for one little thing even if the stakes are big for the end result we we make sure that we've tested it a bunch of times and run it up against um all the things that we need to there are moments we have where we just are both on the same page from the get-go and that's always nice because we both have an intuition with the business right because you develop that intuition it's not something you can read from a book you get a feel from the customers from the market from everything it's what i I guess i call it like an entrepreneurial muscle in a way intuition towards your particular business so when we are both like oh that's a great idea or oh we can do that we do just we just go 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 but the thing is as we're getting bigger in the early days it's different but as we're getting bigger there can be changes you make that have bigger implications and so we do have to be more careful but you also have to balance that with wanting to ship at a good pace we definitely validate each other quite a bit we work with each other to to get to the right result but i don't know we don't necessarily need to trust the original idea either we can just talk it through so we can come with a completely unformulated idea and refine it into something beautiful I'm curious, another sort of question that maybe has developed over time um, is just about how you define success or what markers you look at and if that's changed from the beginning to now. Yeah, I mean, part of it, obviously, we run a business. It has to make money. It has to cover, at the very least, our salaries. Otherwise, it's not profitable. It has to cover the salaries of the people who work for us. Otherwise, it's not profitable. But that's like, that's like the the baseline. That's like the meal without the gravy, right? Like you need to eat to sustain yourself. But if you put gravy on it, it's just more delicious. So sorry, I'm really, really hungry. <laughs> but I think that the beyond that, I think a lot of it comes down to, is the work fulfilling? Is it challenging in a good way? Do you enjoy doing it? Like, is it moving in a direction that you're, that you're happy with like is it making a difference as some kind of measurable or immeasurable difference for others like a lot of it like if people hated our product i probably wouldn't want to work on it every day it gets like a tiny bit bigger and there's a time there's a few more people using it and the revenue grows a little bit and it's not it's not an instant thing it's like a thing that's grown over years but it is still a like i get satisfaction working on a product that i know like hundreds of thousands of people are going to see. I like that, that feel that, that satiates my ego quite a bit as well. We've refined our sweet spot, I think. And I think that's, that's been a process. We know how, like when we're shipping regularly and we're just kind of, you know, batting, batting things and getting things out and delivering value to our customers. That is the sweet spot for both of us. And we've worked to work you know to get to that sweet spot and we we know when we're there so when things come up when challenges come up um you know it's going to be temporary and you're going to get back to that sweet spot and yeah success for me i think back to when i was i knew i I wanted to run a a software business of some kind since i was you know 15 maybe 14 and so i often think to myself like wow you're waking up in the morning you can work on what you want 
and you haven't got any investors that are hounding you expecting certain growth results. If we if we double our growth, like I think we double or tripled our growth one month this year, we're like, oh, that's awesome. You know, that, that's great. We can do X, Y, and Z. But it's not this stress to have to deliver a result. We don't stress about growth. And I think that makes it much more fun to actually do. How do you think Fathom will grow in the future? Yeah, I mean, I think continuing to prove out the thesis that you can start small and iterate, as well as the thesis that you can be a do-gooder and it makes financial sense. It's not just some altruistic singing kumbaya kind of thing. It is <laughs> like actual like nuts and bolts logic to do good in the world that we all live in and, and proving that out and being... Um, I get, yeah, continuing to be an example of that. And I think part of it too, and this is fairly new for me, is the the people that work for us and with us is like, I feel such a responsibility to them. I want them to feel like they're they're getting something out of the work and they're not, it's not causing any undue stress or problems in their lives, like that Jack and I are enjoyable to work with most of the time. <laughs> Yeah, and we talk confidently about the journey of Fathom so far. We don't know what's going to happen, but we're focused on our customer. We're, we all, we're always listening to them, and um, we're doing the best we can. And I think that's, the, that's a good formula if you combine that with, um, with knowing how to distribute it. And we do to an extent, but this is what, this is what I get excited about. There are distribution methods that we don't even know about, and that excites me. I like being in this space of just there's so much opportunity. And uh, who knows what's going to happen. But you go in with an open mind, I think anything's possible. It's been nice to share a little bit about my own business with my friend and co-founder Jack. In this season, I've had the pleasure and honor of talking to small business owners across so many varying industries and in different parts of the world. On the surface, you'd think there's little in common with, say, a farmer and a TikTok influencer, or a restaurant owner and a non-binary clothing company. But that's not the case at all. We all have so much more in common than our differences. And it's kind of awesome. I've learned a lot over these episodes about how it's not a crutch to be a small business going up against giants. It's a benefit. We can move faster, take smarter risks, do what we think is right, and of course, define how we want to show up for our customers and succeed. In my own business, Fathom, we literally compete against one of the biggest companies in the world. But because of how we define winning, it has nothing to do with market share or getting all of the revenue ever. We won the second we were profitable enough to pay ourselves and our employees. So maybe it's not the size of the competition we're up against at all. Maybe it's just having enough moxie to see a problem or notice an underserved group of people, or envision an industry where people can choose not just with their dollars, but with their values. We may not have the marketing power or lobbying abilities, 
But small businesses, not mega corporations, are the true backbone of the world economy. There's just more of us than them. We provide more jobs, more salaries, and more options for customers. We, as small business owners, have the power to break down, climb over, or completely ignore any gates put in our way. So let's go get it. Thank you all so much for listening to this season of Call Paul. Call Paul is a MailChimp original podcast. The show is made possible with the help of the whole amazing team. Julie Douglas, Ruth Eddy, Sasha Brown, Tierra Darnell, Kaida Jesus, and Zoe Culkin. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast player so you can check out all of our other episodes and seasons. Oh, and if you want more awesome podcasts, go to MailChimp.com presents. Some things leave you guessing, like, why isn't the word phonetic spelled the way it sounds? But you know who doesn't leave you guessing? MailChimp. MailChimp analyzes data from billions of emails to offer up personalized recommendations for how to improve things like your email content and audience targeting. Guess less and sell more with the number one email marketing and automation brand, Intuit MailChimp. Based on competitor brands' publicly available data on worldwide numbers of customers in 2021 and 2022.